Welcome to Building with Brick, Foundational Wisdom on Coaching, Careers, and Christ. This leadership podcast was spawned by Coach Brickner's book, So You Want to Be a Coach, which is the story of a corporate executive who made a drastic career change and became a head men's basketball coach. Dr. Brickner's book is available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook on Amazon.com or go to his website, www.drjoebrickner.com. That's drjoebrickner.com. Now, here's this week's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. We have been talking with Tony Groflo, who is a professional athletic trainer, knows his stuff, and uh, has had some great experiences with professional baseball. One of the things that I wanted to ask Tony about was the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainer Society, PBATS, and I want to know a little bit about what it is and how he got involved in it, and is he still involved in it? Well, back when I started in baseball, it was really taboo for one athletic trainer to talk to another athletic trainer from a different team because ownership was always afraid that we were going to give out information Mm -hmm. about a player. Mm -hmm. So if Joe Brickner was playing for the Cubs and they saw me talking to an athletic trainer, they were afraid I might say, well, Joe Brickner's got a bad elbow, you know, and I'm doing this for him and everything else. And then they would they would pass it on to some other team. So they didn't want athletic trainers to talk to each other. But being professionals, we need to continue to educate ourselves as athletic trainers. We wanted to, athletic training was starting to evolve and we wanted to stay on top of things. And the only thing that we could really do is attend the winter meetings because everything at the NATA always happened in the summer because the majority, there was only 26 of us, Mm -hmm. but all the other athletic trainers were professional football, basketball, collegiate, high school, and they would meet in the summer and they would get, we have to get CEUs to continue with our our certification. Mm -hmm. So we would always miss out on that. So we decided we were going to try to do things to better ourselves. And fortunately or unfortunately, when we decided to do this, it was the winter of 1982, which was right after the strike of 1981, where baseball was shut down for three months. And they thought we were going to form a union. The owners thought we were going to form a union. And that's the last thing they wanted was another union in baseball (laughs) because they had just gone through hell with, with the previous strike. But we tried to explain to major league, the people in Major League Baseball, it's not a union. It's an educational society. That's why we call it the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainer Society, where we could exchange ideas about rehab and that kind of stuff and make it easier for each of us. Because when we would go on a 12, 15-day road trip, we'd have to pack stuff for that long trip, and we'd always run out of stuff. So we started out by saying, okay, What we're going to do is we're going to provide the basic necessities in the visiting athletic training room. Things like rubbing alcohol, band-aids, ace bandages, ice bags, 
little dumbbells because dumbbells were beginning to become more and more use because of what the Dodgers experienced when they had uh, Jerry Royce trying to ro rehab his rotator cuff problem. So we didn't want to take all that stuff on the road because, you know, that's a lot of, if you have from one to five pound dumbbells you put in a trunk, those trunks are going to get heavy. Right. And the equipment managers were complaining that they had to carry all this heavy stuff. So that's one of the things we decided we were going to do. And we tried to explain this to Major League Baseball. Well, we got letters from the commissioner's office, both league presidents at the time, our owners and our general manager saying, if you do this, you'll be fired. We want no part of another union. Well, the 26 of us got together and said, you know what, we're going to, if they fire us, they fire us, but we're going to do this because we're trying to make the profession better mm -hmm. for major league baseball athletic trainers. Mm -hmm. And our team physicians, they had a, a major league physicians association, which they still do. And Dr. Lewis Yoakum, who was the great physician for the California Angels, trained at the Curlin Job Clinic in California. He was an associate of Dr. Frank Job, who's infamous with what he did with the Tommy John surgery. He's mm -hmm. the one that invented Tommy John surgery. Mm -hmm. Okay, They were on our side. And what we wanted to do was we would meet at the baseball winter meetings. The physician would talk about an injury and then the athletic trainers would talk about the rehab. So the physicians loved this. Great. So they went to Major League Baseball and said, we want them to do this. And the, oh, they kept saying, no, we don't want them to do that. We don't want them to talk to each other. Well, we did it anyway. So at the baseball winter meetings in 1983, we met in Nashville, Tennessee at the Opryland Hotel. Oh, yeah. And two of the athletic trainers, Jeff Cooper from the Phillies and Charlie Moss from the Red Sox, had rooms next to the pool. So after our organizational meetings were over, 12, 12.30 in the morning, we would sneak down to the room, to these two rooms, and that's where we farmed pea bats. And we decided, we, we believe so much in this, that this is what we're going to do. If they fire us, they fire us. But they can't fire all 26 of us. So we started pea bats and it became an educational society. It went from being a meeting that we held in secret that we didn't want anybody to know about to when Bud Selig had to report to Congress on a PEDs that he would call PBATS and say, I got to testify to Congress, help me on this. So now the commissioner comes back to PBATS and says, help me. So that's how full circle this had come. Yeah. And now every spring training or what we had to do, we had no money, anything. So what we did was each athletic trainer contributed $300 and then Gatorade matched it. So we could have a treasury, so we could do things. The first thing we did was we bought plaques for the people that preceded us in athletic training. People, we bought track plaques for Bob Bowman and Al Schooneman and Jim Ewell, who was with, who was with um, Houston Astros for years. Tom McKenna, who was with Mets for years. Gus Mock. We bought them plaques thanking them for, for the groundwork they laid for us. And a lot of these guys said, you're crazy. You're all going to get fired. Don't do it. One of the few guys that didn't say it was Bowman. Yeah, he was the yeah. one that said, it's a great idea. I'm behind this. You guys need to do this. 
So we did this and that's what we used our first treasury was a buy plaques for these guys. That's nice. It just kept growing. Then we start getting sponsorships and now they have in spring training, they have seminars, one in Arizona and one in Florida, a couple in Florida where they would have it for the major league and minor league trainers, where they would bring speakers in and talk about different techniques. They would bring different physical therapists and athletic trainers talking about rehab to help all these mm-hmm. minor league athletic trainers because they got nothing. I knew when I was in the minor leagues, you were on an island by yourself. Mm-hmm. So when I got to the big leagues, I told myself I would never do that to the minor league athletic trainers. So I would take them out to dinner in spring training out of my own pocket. I pay for them. I take eight of them out to dinner just so we could make them, I can make them feel like they were part of our organization. Mm-hmm. When I was in the big leagues, we had a, a, a minor league team in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and they had a day off. So the whole team and the athletic trainer came to Chicago for watch a game. Well, the farm director saw this athletic trainer talking to me and fired him saying, we don't want you to be associated with the major leagues. You guys are minor league people. You don't associate with the minor leagues. He fired them. So I went to Bob Kennedy and I said, you can't fire this kid. He was just saying hi to me. And he was asking me a question about rehab and stuff. Why would you fire him? It's your players that he's taking care of. Yeah. So we got this kid's job back. And it turned out that he turned out to be my assistant a few years later. Nice. But that's the way it was. It was the major league and minor league. So with PBATS, we brought organizations together. Number one, it, it improved uh, communication in the minor leagues because we were always sending people back and forth. Mm-hmm. If they have to rehab them now, you know, they, they're on the same program as the major league. When, when I was there, they would do their own thing. I would do my own thing. And we did, it, it wasn't good continuity of care for these athletes. Right. So that was another function of PBATS. We, we, we brought everybody together it's really paid off, you know, it's starting out with 26 of us starting to get fired to where it is now where we had a, we had a very small treasury to do things. Now their treasuries, millions of dollars from all these endorsements and stuff. And that's why what PBATS did a couple of years ago, they bought rings for, for PBATS members. And the criteria was you had to be either a founding member, which I was, Mm-hmm. Or you had to have 10 years of major league experience and you had to be retired at least five years. So they surprised us by giving this, this the, the, our, we were at the NATA meeting in Baltimore and they, we had a PBATS dinner or luncheon and they presented us with these rings. There was not a dry eye yeah. in this luncheon there was i think there was like 12 of us there yeah and there's 12 old grown men crying like babies <laughs> when they give us these rings and a lot of guys said you know i've won world series rings but this means more to me because there's a select group that get these rings yeah there was only 24 of us that got them now there's a few more that got them it meant more to us and yeah. some people got you know i never got well, i got close to a world series once <laughs> But that was the closest I ever got. Some of these guys, you know, got two or three World Series rings, which was nice. But this meant more to them. And you see it, and we see them now. They're wearing their PBATS ring. They don't wear their World Series ring. They wear their PBATS rings. That's how much it means to them. That's a great success story. Great. Let's switch channels a little bit. I know you've 
and you know many, many, many great athletes and have worked on quite a few. Tell us a little bit about that, you know, and the attitudes that maybe some of them have and uh, uh, what it's like, you know, dealing with great athletes. Well, it's, you know, it's something, you know, I talked about Al Schooneman, who was my mentor. Al was, like I said, the trainer for the Cubs for 20 years. When I came to spring training, my first spring training in 1977, Bob Kennedy, Al was retired living in Arizona and his wife had just had a stroke. And Al was one of those guys that if he, he didn't find something to do, he would have been, you know, he played golf, but there was only so much he could do. So Bob hired him to come to spring training for me. And the first thing Bob that Al Schuderman told me was the difference between the players you're dealing with now and the, any athletes you dealt with before is their names in the paper a little bit more and they're making a little bit more money. Other than that, they're athletes. They have the same hangups. They say they have the same insecurities as any other athlete. So you just treat them accordingly. That really helped me a lot. You know, I never played favorites with any any of my athletes. I treated them all the same. And I think maybe that's why to this day, I, I, I have good rapport with a lot of them. But you get to see athletes in a different way. And you've formed friendships with them. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll never forget my first year in the big leagues. At the time, the only game that was on TV was Saturday game of the week on right. NBC. Right. Garagiola being from St. Louis. Me being from St. Louis, he was a friend of Bowman's. He'd always come in and see me and we would talk. And he would always be doing the game of the week, him and Tony Kubek. So we had a, a guy by the name of Bobby Mercer who oh, yeah. played for the Yankees yeah. and, and the uh, Giants. And he came with the Cubs. So we were going to be on Saturday game of the week for the first time in my, my big league career. So he comes in the athletic training room before the game and we're talking a little bit. He goes, we're game of the week today, aren't we? And I said, yeah. He goes, this your first game of the week? And I said, yeah. He said, you're nervous? I said, well, you know, yeah, I'm going to be on national TV for the first time in my life. You know, and my parents are watching and now these people from St. Louis, my friends are watching. He goes, ah, don't worry. It's no big deal. You know, just do your job, your job. So in about the fourth or fifth inning, he's in right field. He goes to make a diving catch and he lays on the ground. So here I come running out of dugout and I run the right field and I get out there and he goes, I'm giving you some TV time. Act like you're doing something. <laughs> so I kind of, you know, act like I'm doing something. Then I'm playing around, you know, acting like I'm diagnosing his, his knee or something. And after a couple of minutes, he says, I gave you enough TV time. Get the heck out of here. <laughs> what now, a great he story. To, he didn't have to do that, but that's yeah. what he did, you know, just a Bobby Mercer. And then when I moved to Chicago, I was living in a hotel and he had bought a townhouse in one of the suburbs. And he says, where are you staying? I said, I'm staying. I can't, I can't remember it, uh, some hotel in downtown Chicago. He said, you know what? I got this three bedroom townhouse. Why don't you just come stay with me? You know, it'll save you a little bit of money. You can stay with me, you know. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. That's fine. So he gave me the address. I stayed out there and I get out there and we played day games at, at the time. We played all day games. So he said, what are you doing for dinner? And I said, I don't know, I'm going to go get something. He says, come on, we'll go out to dinner. So we're sitting for dinner and he said, I'll flip you for see who pays the check. 
I said, okay, now Mercer was making 300,000 at the time in 1977. I was making 17,000 at the time. <laughs> so I'm figuring, gee, how am I going to, because I had two, I'm paying rent in St. Louis and trying to survive my wife and family in St. Louis. How am I going to survive all this? So we flip and he goes, call it. And I say, heads, he goes up, oh, you won. I never lost a flip with the guy. Every time he went to dinner, I <laughs> You know, I knew because he would never show me, but he always said, oh, you beat me again. He said, you're the luckiest person I've ever met. He would buy me dinner all the time. And that was his way of thanking me, you know? So Mercer was unbelievable. You know, he had just, it kind of hurt when he got traded, you know, but this is, this business, you know, you can't get yeah. too close to people yeah. because you're not, they're not going to be there the next. Um, you know, guys like Mercer, Bruce Suter, I love the guy. Yeah. I mean, he was just, he to this day we still talk mm -hmm. and he thanked me in his hall of fame speech which wow. really meant a lot to me you know I'm, i was supposed to go to cooperstown i couldn't do it but he thanked me and a couple other athletic trainers in the hall of fame speech but we came off of a road trip one time and we had just bought our house in chicago and it was just unbelievably hot for some reason up here and I could, we come off a road trip and I come to the ballpark the next day and I just hadn't slept, had no air conditioning in our house. And he says, what's the matter with you? I said, oh, the kids were up all night. It was so hot in the house and all this kind of stuff. He said, well, turn your air conditioning on. I said, I don't have one. He goes, well, that's stupid. I said, well, that's where we bought the house. You know, I wasn't making much money back then. So the next day he comes and gives me a check for four grand. And he said, I hate it when you're grumpy. Put an air conditioner in your house. <laughs> so I said, I can't take this money. He said, it's a loan. Don't worry about it. You pay me back when you can. Pay me a little bit back each month, whatever. Just take care of it. So the next year, he went to arbitration. And his salary went from 60000 to 350000 And that's when the Cubs traded him to the Cardinals for Leon Durham and Ty Waller and somebody else. So him and his wife came over to the house because our families were really close because we lived so close together. Mm -hmm. And him and his wife came over before they were getting ready to move to say goodbye. And I, I stopped and I said, you know, Bruce, I'm not going to forget that loan that you gave me and I'm going to pay you back. I owe you some, I owe you a little bit more. He said, that's chump change now. Forget about it. So, you know, that's the type of guy he was, you know, and when we go to St. Louis at Christmas time, we'd go to him and his and Jamie's house and he had this beautiful home on a golf course and he had his, he goes, come on, you and I let the ladies talk. We'll go to my playroom. So we go up to this room over his garage and he has a pool table and a big screen TV and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and he said, he said, you know, this is, it's a nice house. He said, and he had a, 69 cent styrofoam cooler in this in beyond this bar and he says i got this big house with this huge rec room but i'm using the 69 cent <laughs> styrofoam cooler he said but i do have this and he had an intercom and he pushed the button and said this to his son josh bring us up another six pack <laughs> after i was inducted to the hall of fame at, at benedictine I wanted to do something to give back to the school. So they, we set up a athletic trainer fund for student athletic trainers to pay for their certification. So they become certified athletic trainers. So I funded this thing. 
So I called the, called Patrick, who's the athletic trainer up there. And I said, I'm going to try to do, can you, if I arrange it, can you do some kind of fundraiser to raise funds for this, for this athletic training fund? So he said, yeah, we can do something. So I called Bruce and I said, Bruce, this is what I'm doing. And I said, can you get me some autographed balls? And he goes, yeah, how many you want? I said, one or two is fine. He sent me a dozen autographed baseballs. Bruce Suter, Hall of Fame cool. with the year on there. Yeah. I called Gene Gieselman for the Cardinals and he got me Whitey Herzog to autograph some baseballs to auction off. Nice. I called your old teammate, Timmy Moore. Yeah. Who runs the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame, him and right. Greg Marisick. They sent me a picture that is autographed by Stan Musial, Wally Moon, and somebody else that we auctioned off. And then I called Brian McCaskey of the Bears, who was, <laughs> funny story about Brian, he always teases me, it was because of me he became an athletic trainer because his grandfather, George Hallis, brought him to Wrigley Field and brought him into the athletic training room when he was a, a seventh or eighth grader, and he wanted to become an athletic trainer. And I kept saying, Brian, I'm not that old. He goes, yeah, you are. But anyway, <laughs> I asked him and he sent me an autographed football, a Bears autographed football that we auctioned off. So we raised quite a bit of money with those things because of, you know, players like Bruce yeah. Suter and Whitey and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, just the bonds you have with like Suter and Mercer, Keith Moreland, you know, the picture I have on my wall of when we clinched in 84 with Keith and I drowned in champagne, you know, yeah. it, was, it was just great. You know, the Keith signed for me and I have the first bottle that when we walked into the clubhouse from Pittsburgh, after we clinched, Ron Say had a bottle of champagne and he opened it and dumped it over my head and saying, thank you for everything you did for us. You did for us, you know, those kind of people you never can forget, you know, Lee Smith. I mean, I can go on and on, you know, Hernandez, Keith Hernandez, when I was retiring, he gave me an autographed bat and getting, got all this stuff, you know, from former players and former friends of mine call um and i was fortunate enough to work with five hall of famers and when we went to cooperstown when lee smith was inducted into the hall of fame i tried to get a picture with me and my hall of famers eckersley and ryan sandberg and billy williams fergie jenkins lee smith greg maddox bruce Souter, all those guys you know it's just like i could call any of them ask anything of any of them and they they do it for me that's you become so bonded to them you know i i I cannot, I mean, there were some players, yeah, they were all great, you know, there was, I had trouble with a few of them, you know, but you forget about that. You just remember the good time. I remember Bill Buckner, when we got Bill, he was damaged goods, you know, he mm -hmm. couldn't hardly run and he was not the most easy person Lord, to get along with, you know, and him and I would bump heads occasionally. I ran into him in spring training one time. The Cubs have a, a thing in spring training where they have an autograph booth for all the former players and stuff. And Bill was suffering from Parkinson's pretty bad at the time. And he kind of shuffled over to me and gave me a big hug and said, you know, you were the best athletic trainer I ever had in my years in the big leagues. And here's a guy that we would butt heads. And now, years later, maybe it was because the ball went through his legs in Boston. I don't know that he's <laughs> But he came up to me and said that to me. And it was like, you forget about all the bad stuff that that happened between us. You know, it's just, 
you know, I could go on and on with the list of people that are just friends to this day that I made in Major League Baseball. You know, Rick Rushell and uh, Mike Kruko, and you know, there goes on and on and on. You know, it's just it's great. when you're uh, when you're involved in team sports. It, to me, you don't only have to be a player to be part of that team. The managers, trainers, those people are parts of the team. You're with them yeah. every day. Yeah, and they become friends, and and so I know whenever we have any of our national championship reunions for, uh, up at Benedict's, if if Hanson doesn't show up or if Jay Evler doesn't show up, I mean we're missing one of the major parts of our team. And those guys, you know, they didn't score a point in four years, yeah. but they were yeah. so critical to our success and became such good friends with all all the teammates and everything. So yeah, you're just you're part of it. You're, you're yeah, equal. You know, we when we we talked a little earlier about PBATs, and we talk. I talked a little bit about how we get together every year at the NATA meeting. I mean, their PBATs is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and we have a dinner every year for the PBATs alumni, and there's all this old guys together, like it was yesterday that we were together that we yeah. did this, and now we bonded so close from PBATs. That it's a great party. You know, I, I took my son, the one that's an athletic trainer. I said, you're going to be my date when we go to the PBATS dinner. And we had a dinner at some restaurant in Vegas. And he just kept saying, I can't believe this. I mean, they kept bringing the food out and the wine. And he said, my gosh, I've never seen I He said, I ate myself into a food coma. And he said, you guys actually were together last year. And I said, well, that's... That's the bonding that athletic trainer does. Athletic trainers do, you know, and, yeah. and so you're like you said, you're part of a team and yeah. either the athletic trainers we were with or players we were with, it's unbelievable. I, when I went to my first all-star game in Cleveland in 1981, Bruce was on that team and on that team, there was probably 17 Hall of Famers on that all-star game in 1981. This is before they had all the stuff they have now. They and the All Star just kind of got together, and I was I was standing outside, and Bruce Souter comes up and he says, "What are you doing out here?" And I said, "Well, you know, that's All Star." He goes, "You're an All Star, man. You belong in there with us. Get in here. Let's go." And I walked into this. You know, and I'm sitting at a table with Pete Rose and Joe Morgan and Tom Seaver and Steve Carlton, Nolan Ryan. Johnny wow. Bench, all these guys were in there, all these guys that I looked up to, you know, yeah, yeah. they considered me like them. And yeah. I just, I couldn't see myself like that, but it's, yeah. it's just the camaraderie is, it's so unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. Well, Tony, we need to take another quick break. And uh, when we come back, I'm going to ask you for your three highlights of your career, mm-hmm. if you can do that. And then I want to get into talking about your education, what that meant to you and, and your faith and how that helped you in, in your profession, in your career, et cetera. So if we can get into that when we come back, okay. all right. All right. Okay. 